Welcome to the LGBTQIA plus Fantastica Graphics Digital Symposium podcast series. We hope you enjoy the series. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line on our Discord server and join us for the roundtable discussion of the series on November 20th, 2021 via Zoom. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events heading. That's Fantastica with a K. Details are in the podcast info. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each Zoom panel. There are five panels in total. This podcast is part of panel four, Intersectional Approaches. The Zoom discussion will take place on November the 20th at 3.50pm GMT time. This podcast is presented by Afia Graham, who is a PhD student at Lancaster University. She's devoted to her family and is a reviews editor for Shoreline of Infinity in Edinburgh. She is obsessed with comics and TVs and films, and with a soft spot for the MCU, SG-1 and Battlestar Galactica. Her podcast today is entitled Rites of Passage, World Building of Inclusive Societies in Far Future SF. Rites of Passage, World Building of Inclusive Societies in Far Future SF. This is an essay that has grappled with plenty of questions and has been distressingly short on concrete answers. I'm a writer that focuses on experimentation in my world building and character development, and my craft is plagued by sliding doors moments. I'd like to think I have good intentions, but there's an adage about those that is always in the forefront of my mind. That being said, the intent here is to start a conversation, potentially without end. I'll be discussing what coming out looks like in my imagined future. Through my experimentation, it's a vastly different experience to what anyone would recognise today, and I'll explain why I've made those choices. I'll also look into where these choices led, with a special focus on inclusivity in SF world building and the steps I've taken to remove the more ableist aspects of my own writing. Over the past year, I've been writing about living on a generational starship in the far future. The narrative centers around a library that contains the last physical books taken from Earth and the custodian of this resource. The Pepper is just one ship in a fleet that wasn't able to find a new home planet and became nomadic. The narrative is written in a blend of prose and graphic fiction panels that enable the reader greater access into the world building and allows me to show, not tell, when appropriate. This blended method has forced me to think about world building in a more critical way and confront the visual representation of this imagined society. I have never thought of myself as an optimistic writer. Historically, a hallmark of my stories was that characters struggle to survive. It turns out when I'm forced to allow people to live, I seem to build quite a utopian society, at least from an LGBT plus perspective. The character arts that are the backbone of my narrative have evolved quite naturally, and a three-person couple was part of that development. One of my protagonists, who has spent most of the story figuring out who he is after an accident, falls in love with a woman and then brings another man into that relationship. It's not met with surprise or disdain by anyone. In fact, it's not remarked upon at all. In my future, you can be in a relationship with whomever you want. I didn't think I'd achieved anything radical with this. It seemed to fit in with who these people were and the lives they were living. But when I started to consider the LGBT plus representation in mainstream SF, this kind of relationship is not widely represented. I want to take a moment to look into why that might be the case. Let us consider Star Trek. 
Long since held as a bastion of diversity, you think it would be easy to think of five people of colour in the original series. Perhaps you got tripped after Uhura, but if you consider the social context, that's probably fair. I asked a few friends for fun if they could name LGBT plus characters across the entire franchise. For me, I instantly thought about Paul and Hugh in Star Trek Discovery. Like on my ship, it's not discussed, they just are. And in Star Trek Beyond, we meet Sulu's husband and daughter. It could be argued that these two representations are major milestones for inclusivity. I'd like to think so, but I'm not sure. I'm not saying these characters should be in any way minimised. The media storm around Sulu coming out is evidence enough of how much these stories need to be told. But I don't believe it's too much to ask that they are actually told. Sulu's husband doesn't even have a single line. And I keep referring to him as husband because I don't know his name. The fact that he isn't named and his backstory reads like fan fiction is telling. This is one of the reasons that while I'm experimenting, I'll be trying to center my characters in the narrative without making them tokens. For Sulu, there seems to be so much to unpack here. They're two dads, they're both Asian, but their daughter doesn't appear to be. How are families created in the future? It could be this is a nod to Huxley's brave new world where natural conception and birth are replaced by entirely automated procedures. If so, this could have been a real opportunity to explore the role of women in the future if they're no longer the primary caregiver. That would naturally move into a social and romantic relationship structures that investigate what constitutes a family. Yet consistently, it seems to me that rather than delve into these branched worlds, stories are shared in heteronormative ways. Paul and Hugh, living together, working closely together, having spats and squabbles just like any couple. Spoiler alert, when Paul loses Hugh, his palpable grief echoes that of anyone who loses a loved one. It's emotional and important, but I can't help but think, why? It seems odd to me that the only openly gay people on the ship are a couple. There may be others, but I must have missed the nuance that introduced them to the audience. I think it could be argued that this is all about curation and control. Before having two gay characters can accept too many people, you put them in a loving, committed, monogamous relationship that reads like every other relationship. This type of pigeonholing doesn't just happen to LGBT plus relationships. The idea that there is one person for everyone and when you meet that person you'll fall and that'll be it for you. Like Tony Stark and Pepper. Their backstory gave them a decent history and we were coming in at the end of their history. But there are others that are more of a struggle and Captain Marvel's male protagonist wasn't a romantic option. This led to many theories that it's because she's the MCU's first LGBT plus character. Maybe she is. Or maybe you can be a complete person without falling in love. I would argue that it would have been more powerful to show two gay men, best of friends, wingmen for each other, with no desire to date each other. People say that men and women can't be just friends. The idea that if you can be sexually attracted to someone means you're going to have feelings feels to me like an emotional trap for anyone that doesn't feel that way. I don't think the viewer would have noticed a difference in the relationship if it had been a heterosexual couple. 
But I do feel like sometimes pretending not to see what makes someone different can be just as damaging as persecuting them for it. The phrase, I don't see colour, is a trigger for me. It can come from the most well-meaning place, but it could so easily be heard as, I don't see you. There is a mask of liberalism that fails to see its own shortcomings and pays lip service to inclusivity while struggling to relinquish the comfort that's found in the status quo. There could be a boy watching Discovery and thinking, that's not what it means to be gay to me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. While others will celebrate just seeing anything that looks or feels remotely like themselves. Back to my utopia. The two sides of the coin I laid out above brought me back to my own practice and how I'm representing people. My characters have not come out. I had already created my thruple before I tackled this issue. It would have been simple to add a moment in either the graphic section or prose that clarified this moment for them. I decided against it for two reasons. This is not a society in which the LGBT plus community would feel unsafe. They would not have been systemically oppressed for generations. I see coming out as a term steeped in terrestrial politics and history, and I didn't want to assign any of that to this future society. Secondly, I had to consider who my character was and who he had become. There are a few before scenes with Rowan, but what I do share with the audience is that he was capricious, perhaps a little spiteful and jealous. After his accident, the focus became who he wanted to be going forward, not returning to who he was. Rowan is an altogether more private and humble person, and an ostentation scene would have jarred with that. I don't think it would have occurred to him that he would have to announce his new relationship to anyone except his girlfriend. Rowan does come out to the reader through the graphic panels. I decided to use them because it was a more subtle way of conveying a new side to this character. The point of this was not to dampen the significance of the moment, but rather heighten the simplicity of the relationships in this society. As experimentation is at the core of my practice, this presentation was born out of a curiosity of unconscious bias. There are things that are accepted now that were inconceivable 50 years ago, and I think that I will continue to play with presentation of relationships going forward. This curiosity moved into the lived experience of other people. Not only had I not considered disability on my ship, I'd inadvertently created a world in which disability in almost any form wouldn't exist. I'd been very careful to make sure that all nationalities were represented. A healthy proportion of my crew are mixed race, and any procreational genetic selection was focused purely on preparing the human body to live on a new planet. As I was proofreading, I couldn't stop thinking about friends and loved ones who wouldn't exist in my utopia, and I started to dislike my new world. I felt the lack of intention. I hadn't meant to exclude anyone, but I also hadn't taken enough steps to include. I think there's so much to consider when we imagine the future. It is likely that my imagined future is someone else's idea of hell. There's this inherent idea that it would be the same across the board, and maybe that's part of the problem. The Federation, for example, is across the entire universe, and everyone, humanoid or not, lives by a very similar set of standards and societal expectations. Those who don't, like the Romulans and Klingons, are constantly shown as the enemy. One thing I've been conscious to avoid during my practice is manufactured conflict. 
My protagonist, Aurelie, struggles with loneliness, fertility, and feeling other. That has proven more than enough to develop her character. Rowan and his partners have their own struggles, but not connected to their sexuality. I think that humans will always find a way or a reason to be awful to each other, but I hope and expect that being in any way queer will cease to be an inciting factor. Where do we go from here? That could and should be a debate in its own right. I had hoped that through my craft I could posit some solutions, but that was a naive hope. I don't think we're able to action any kind of change without conversation. There's currently a Marcus Rashford advert that says we shouldn't be afraid to ask. It's imperative that we ask and keep asking. I know I've fallen into the trap of thinking that I'm open-minded and therefore can speak for others, but as well-meaning as that is, it's disenfranchising. I don't know what I would need to live on a ship where I don't have my sight, so I'm asking people with limited sight. I don't know what I would need as a warning system, so I'm asking people who are deaf. I don't know how sound actually travels through materials, how acoustics can orient or disorient a person, so I'm asking a sound engineer. I sent a day in the life script to my friend Jeremy and asked him to walk through life as a captain of a ship and what he would need to make his day easy. At first, his answers were in line with, I'm fine with what we have now, which reinforced for me how the disabled are so conditioned to live in the able world that it leaks even into the fantastical. But as we conversed and I probed, we thought more about where the toilet should be in relation to the sink and how the kitchen should be laid out. We discussed the size and shape of items and how a blind person could work on microchips or perform surgery. That led us on to technology and how we could utilise it to fill in any potential gaps. I realised that I'd never given any thought to the layout of the ship in any previous narratives. I also think it's important that we don't just let robots do everything, as it robs people of their autonomy, and eventually the robots would revolt and overthrow the humans, and that's a very different story. When I was discussing how sound moves through the space and the materials with a sound engineer, and combine that with the zoning that the partially sighted may need, I realised that I would need the engine rooms to be down very specific paths. The rolls on the ship and the living quarters would need sensible connecting arteries. These limitations would have a direct effect on the narrative and character development as it would affect how my characters lived, and I'm looking forward to following these threads over the coming year. These are just my first steps into this arena, and there will be a myriad of ways to represent all people. It's my intention to continue experimenting with form and help stimulate conversation. There will be some for whom my imagined world would be hard to imagine, and I believe that's the core strength of the blending the prose with graphic fiction. The images provided, the uninitiated, doors into new worlds, and perhaps that could help open windows into new social groups in reality. We hope you enjoyed this discussion of world building of inclusive societies and far future SF. This podcast series continues with panel five on defying patriarchal expectations with Eloise Thomas, who will be discussing Cosmo Knights on a sunbeam and She-Ra and the princesses of power and how such representations combine aesthetic and symbolic elements to produce certain political framings of lesbian and sapphic identities as being emancipatory. If you enjoyed the series or have questions, join the conversation with us on Discord and on November 20th, 2021 for our Zoom webinars. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events heading. 
The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each of the five Zoom panels. We look forward to seeing you there.